Before I read the uh, gospel today, I want to note that much of today's message will be a review of a number of themes that I have developed over the past year and a half. As of today, I have approximately six weeks of ministry remaining at Maple Park, and I need to focus on some things that still remain undone. Today's message will be a prelude to a few weeks of examining some of these things. So, if you are able, please rise for the reading of the Gospel, which is found in Matthew, the 16th chapter, beginning at the 13th verse. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? They said, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has, re- has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you release on earth shall be released in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. This is the gospel of the Lord. You may be seated. When Jesus told Peter that he would build his church on the rock of this confession, that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God. He used a word that was familiar to the disciples in that period of time. It is a word we have talked about several times during the past year and a half. That word is ekklesia. Let's say it together, ekklesia. It is a concept we are familiar with in our own time, even if we are not familiar with the word itself. An ecclesia is a select gathering of people who have been called out from the masses for a specific purpose. For example, when a captain tells his sergeant, take some men and take out that machine gun nest on that hill, and the sergeant says, you, 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 grab your guns and come with me, he is forming an ecclesia. Or when teams are chosen to represent the United States at the Olympics, the teams which are made up of an elite core of athletes who are chosen for that honor are an ecclesia. Or when the word goes out to the church, we need a dozen volunteers to help wash the pastor's car and change the oil That group would definitely be an ecclesia. (laughs) A select gathering of people who have been called out from the masses for a specific purpose. 
We are an ecclesia, the church, a select group of people who have been called out by Christ to be redeemed and to represent him on earth until one of two things happen. One, until he calls us home individually through death. Or two, until he comes again to bring judgment to the earth on the last day. When he does this, by the way, the remaining members of the ecclesia will be taken home. Simply this means all of us are ecclesia, the church. Christ told Peter he would build on the rock of faith. You are ecclesia. You are. Turn to your neighbor and say, I didn't know that. Now you do. Now, how the church is built by Christ is through the ministries of the people that he has called out to do his work. Meaning, if you have been called by Jesus Christ to be redeemed, how many believe you've been called by Christ to be redeemed? And if you have responded to that call, you have work to do. Jesus never intended the church to be a gathering of people who come together to sit. He never intended his church to be a collection of churchgoers who only gathered to sing songs, to struggle to stay awake during a sermon, or to drop a buck or two in the offering plate, only to return to daily life and live like everyone else until the next church-going day. No, this was not what Jesus had in mind when he told Peter, on the rock of your confession, I will build my ecclesia and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. Soldiers, you have been called to do a task. When Jesus told Peter he would build his ecclesia, he envisioned a collection of people who would gather to be more effective agents of his redeeming work in the world. And this is where we must begin our discussion on the ministries that are missing here at Maple Park, ministries that are needed for this church to better fulfill Christ's command to make disciples. We've been over this. Remember, it was Jesus who gave the marching orders to the church to make disciples. And when he did, he clued us in as to how the church would be built. It would be built by members of his ecclesia who themselves are disciples of the Lord, the called out ones who have heard and responded to Jesus' invitation to be redeemed. And in their redemption, to go into the world and find others who will also become part of the work Christ has to do. 
who will become part of what Jesus is building. And this is our job. The purpose for which Jesus calls everyone out who is called out by him, it is the reason we exist on the earth as followers of Jesus Christ. If Jesus did not have work for us to do, the moment you sang just as I am and came forward and accepted him as Lord and Savior, he'd take you out of here. But the very fact that he leaves you here means that he has work for you to do. Can I have an amen? Amen. The purpose for which Jesus calls everyone who is called out by him. The reason we exist as followers of Jesus Christ on earth is this, to be replicating disciples at work in the world, calling out to others through our words and our actions, inviting whoever will listen to come, to be redeemed, and to become part of the saving work of Jesus Christ as his representatives in each generation. This is the sole purpose for the church on earth, the gathering of the called out ones who are called to do the ministry of the Lord, which includes you. 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 Christ has called you. Again, if you've been called by Jesus Christ to be redeemed and you have responded to that call, you have work to do. Now, to achieve this, to achieve becoming replicating disciples, we must first be disciples ourselves. Again, this has been the drumbeat of my ministry since I first came. Disciples are men and women who are being changed by the Lord as they walk with him, as they learn how to live as redeemed sons and daughters of the living God by the power and guidance of the Holy Spirit. This is where your baptism comes into play. For in baptism, we receive this calling, this identity, and this purpose on earth. When you were baptized, God declared you to be his son or daughter, and he put inside of you his Holy Spirit for the purpose of making you over. And, very important and, He also made you a part of his body, the church, whose purpose is to help form you into the person he declared you to be. The church is the womb in which Christians grow into their new identity and learn new patterns of living, even as they become replicating disciples. This is is achieved by doing this, by learning how to put on Christ, as Paul puts it in Galatians 3.27 and again in Romans 13.14, through the disciplines of faith. Did you know you are supposed to be putting on Christ? Every morning you are to rise and 
wrap yourself in Christ so that as you go into the world, what people see is not you, but Jesus. And we learn how to do this through the disciplines of faith. Now, did you hear the word discipline in what I just said? When I said we learn to do this by the disciplines of faith. And can you hear the root word in that word, disciple? Disciples are men and women who are intentional about learning how to put on Christ in their daily lives so that they can better reflect Christ as they go into the world. Again, these are things that I've talked about over the past year and a half. In a disciple's life, there should be indicators, signs that mark you as a follower of Jesus Christ so that as people look at you, they can see that you are different from everyone else. For our purposes, I have suggested five marks that should exist in every believer individually and in the ministries of the congregation that they form. These five marks include, one, worship. Every disciple of Jesus Christ should be living a life of worship. Now, by worship here, I do not mean simply coming to church and sitting in a pew on Sunday morning. While that is a form of worship, it's such a minuscule form of worship. It's like the tip of an iceberg. The larger bulk of it means that in your life, in your daily life, you are constantly reflecting that you are aware of God and the centrality of God in everything that exists. In other words, a disciple should reflect to the world that God sits at the very center of all that they are about. That he is the one to to whom every human being must bow, the reason why we exist, the one to whom we must give an account, and as a Christian, the one who claimed you to be his son or daughter. Every day you should get up and begin the day by saying, Papa, help me better to reflect that I am your son, your daughter, rather than a son or daughter of the devil that exists in the world. Help me be different so that when people see me, I reflect you as a son or daughter, the son or daughter that you claimed me to be when you baptized me. Certainly this means that the center of your life's activity must be prayer. Pray, pray, pray. All day long. That doesn't mean you close your eyes as you're driving down the freeway. Please don't. But certainly you can engage in a dialogue with your father all day long. As you're wrestling with things, talk to Papa. As you're wondering, do I go this way or that way? Talk to Papa. As you're facing moral dilemmas or temptations, talk to Papa. Remember, he is at the center of who you are. 
So prayer is absolutely the core of worshiping God. And of course, praise. Sing to him. He has redeemed you. Rejoice in him. He has rescued you. Everything a Christian should be should be a form of worship. Bowing before God and saying to him all day long, it's not about me, Father, it's about you. And I praise you for who you are. We bow before God as we reflect on God as the word reveals him. We praise him for who he is, for what he has done. And people should know this. They should be able to look at our lives and see by how we walk and talk and interact that he is the center of our existence. And they will think you are weird. Because that is not how the world presents itself and what's important to it. Two, Disciples are about learning, always. We open the word, and we keep coming back to the word over and over and over, both alone in our private devotion time and by gathering with other believers. We open the word, and we let that word bathe us. We learn from it. We let it instruct us. We let it flow over us and in us and through us to renew our minds and regenerate our thinking, to instruct us and mold us into followers who are better able to point people to Jesus. Disciples are forever learners with the word of God. Three, disciples live a life of fellowship with other members of the ecclesia. I just absolutely love the Wednesday night meals when we are able to come. It's a noisy affair with people sitting around eating all kinds of fun food, healthy food sometimes, but more importantly, the food of fellowship. And you hear the laughing and the chit-chat that marks people loving one another and getting to know one another, hanging out together. Christ commanded this. He commanded us to share our lives with one another, to love one another, to be involved with one another, to practice hospitality, to break bread together, to live life together. So we fellowship. For a Christian, this is not optional. It is a command of the Lord. Four. A disciple understands that their role in life is to serve others, especially others who are of the household of faith. We do not seek to put ourselves and our desires and our preferences at the center. We look around and we look for the brother or sister who's in need and we go to wash their feet to help them in life to make their life burden easier. It is not about us in the ecclesia of the church. 
It is about the health of the church. So we look to the weakest member and we say, how can I serve you? We visit our homebound, our shut-ins. Not supposed to use that term anymore as if it's a bad term. But we make sure that they're not forgotten. We take communion to them. They can't come to church, so church goes to them. And it doesn't have to be the pastor. In fact, sometimes it's better if it's not. Because then the person knows that it is the body who loves them. We look around to see whose worship pattern has changed. Maybe they came once every two Sundays. Now they're coming every Sunday. And we go to them and said, I've noticed you're coming more often. Is everything okay in your life? Or maybe they don't come as frequently. And they've been gone for two or three or four or five or six weeks. That's time to pick up the phone and call them and say, Brother, sister, are you okay? I've missed you. We serve one another because Jesus, when he washed the feet of the disciples, said, Are you watching what I'm doing? You do this too. Love one another. Five. A disciple lives a life of outreach, remembering that the primary goal of the church is to rescue sinners by being Jesus' hands and feet to those who do not know him. If we only hang around Christians, how will non-Christians hear the word, see the word through our actions? We remember that it's not just about us, but it's also about a world that is lost in darkness, that needs rescuing. It is good that we support foreign missions, and we must keep up that commitment to it. But we should not forget that when Christ planted his ecclesia here at Linwood, he was looking at a, a neighborhood and saying, you are my outpost. Seek out those who are not part of the ecclesia and make sure that you are, they know that you are here to love them and care for them. And that as they come through the doors as visitors, you will embrace them for me. The ecclesia knows that its mission is to help rescue the lost. And we can only do this if we're out rubbing shoulders with the lost. Amen? rubbing shoulders with those who are stuck in lifestyles that are contrary to the will of God. Befriending them. To those the world leaves behind, on a personal level, you should be about this, and certainly as a corporate whole. Disciples remember that we are ambassadors to the world for God, each of us looking for opportunities to touch the unchurched. I tell you, if you show me a church that has forgotten this, a church that has forgotten that their primary reason for, for being is to reach the lost, to touch the untouchables, to welcome the outcasts and strangers who come through the door, I will show you a church that is doomed one that will dwindle in size and eventually shrivel up and die. Because reaching strangers is why we are 
here. Amen? It is what God is looking for from his ecclesia, that select group of people that he has chosen to be his ambassadors in the world. And if you've been redeemed, this means you. God wants people that are obsessed without, with building the kingdom of God by reaching out to those who are not yet part of it. Which is where we will stop today. Folks, these are the five marks of discipleship that must be present in every disciple's life and in the life of the church if that church is going to be healthy, and thrive for the kingdom of God. Worship, ongoing learning, fellowship, service, and outreach. Know these ministries. Without each being present and being pursued in balance in your life or in the life of your congregation, there will be distortions that prevent spiritual health and the work of the Lord will falter. Now, all of these things take the Holy Spirit to pull them off. Make no doubt about this. A spirit that has been given to us in our baptism. But we have a role to play. And that role is to avail ourselves to the disciplines of faith so the spirit can mold us and strengthen us and use us in the identity that God has given us. You did nothing to earn that identity. What God wants you to do is to walk in it, breathe it, exude it as you go into the world. It's yours, free of charge. To be redeemed means acting like the redeemed to the world in the hopes that they will be redeemed as well. Again, we cannot be passive in our faith and expect to be strong. God did not call us to be churchgoers, but to be church as we go into the world. It's as simple as that, and we must be about it. Next week, we will talk specifically about a number of ministries that are missing here at Maple Park and why it is essential that these ministries get developed and focused on in the coming months. This will be our topic as we continue on for the next several weeks. So stay tuned. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we know that it is not by human endeavor that we achieve things for the kingdom, but we do have a part to play in the mission you have called us to. Give us focus, Lord, and the courage we need to order our days and our deeds so we become better equipped to do the things you have called us to do. Challenge us, even as you comfort us with your grace. Help us to catch a vision of what it truly means to be a child of God. Then help us to walk in that identity as we march into the world for you. In your name we pray. Amen.